bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And I'm Arizu. And this is Misogynist of the Week. That is correct. And who do we have today? J. Cole. Yeah. Because J. Cole. Jeez. <laughs> oh, like, it started trending and you were like, we found him. This is our Misogynist yeah. of the Week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, we did. Yeah, so um, in the middle of everything that's happening um, in the U.S. and globally around calling justice for black lives and defunding the police and really a general um, wave of learning and unlearning when it comes to anti-blackness, J. Cole took it upon himself to go after No Name and her book club and the advocacy that she's been doing around calling for justice for black lives and using books and literature and culture as a medium for generating understanding and knowledge around the experiences of black people, um, not just with the police, um, but um, again, across um, the board. And this was, again, a reflection of an experience that is very well known to black women Um, that they experience both within their communities and also outside of their communities uh, by non-black people, which is called misogynoir. And if you've heard our this week's episode, we we talked a bit about it when it comes to the experiences of folks like Diane Abbott, who's an MP in the UK, and Selena Caesar Caesar Siobhan, who was an MP here in Canada. And it basically explains the intersection of anti-blackness and racist misogyny that black women um, uh, undergo. And it was coined by queer black feminist Moya Bailey. And it describes this, again, a very particular racialized sexism um, experienced by black women. And that is, again, specific to black women. So it's not a term that um, other racialized women can use. Although I've seen a, a few posts on Tumblr and Twitter that really just tries to... They're really pushing it by trying to, again, claim something that is not theirs um, and is invented specifically for a black woman. So I just wanted How to make that How do you claim noir? I know. I'm, it's in the word. It means black. Like, what are you doing? Like, but How do you claim that? Like, how under- badly do you want to steal from black women? Like, they you're pushing all- the boundaries of language. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just- and again, it is a concept that's not only overlooked within black communities, again, because of patriarchy and sexism, but in feminist discourse as well. And I think as a feminist podcast, we need to recognize the fact that misogynoir, this term, the narrative around it, it disrupts the white feminist desire to universalize womanhood as a uniformly shared experience based on the, de- based on the default narrative of white women, right? And it is only through accurately naming this nuances, these specific oppressive behaviors that black women experience that we can understand the origins and um, really what happened with J. Cole and um, No Name. Um, but again, so tell us who No Name is. So, okay, I need to... For old do... people. Yeah. Uh, wait. Because she's girl. a poet, right? Is what I understand. Um, yeah. 
she I, I think I listened to her music so she was a rapper and I think she left the music oh, okay. game to kind of focus more on her advocacy and the book club that she, it's called a no name book club that she I heard um, about this book club yeah and oh, again the, the reason spicy. Yeah, and the reason she she left the music industry and has really, you know, been more attracted to doing the advocacy work and the knowledge sharing work, again, has exactly been because of the sexism and the behavior that she as a young black woman faced within the industry herself as well. So again, the, the, the exact reason that she's doing everything that J. Cole just called her out for is also there's the same reason that like upholds, um, again, um, misogynoir and and blackness um, within the music industry that also impacts him. Um, but again, so the song, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I haven't listened oh. to the song, but I've seen so, the lyrics. This so have I. So the song is called uh, "Snow on the Bluff," yeah. and guess what? We have a sample for you. Niggas be thinking I'm deep, intelligent, fooled by my college degree. My IQ is average, there's a young lady out there, she way smarter than me. I scroll through her timeline in these wild times and I started to read. She mad at these crackers, she mad at these capitalists, mad at these murder police. She mad at my niggas, she mad at our ignorance, she wear her heart on the sleeve. She mad at the celebrities, low key I be thinking she talking about me. Now I ain't no dummy to think I'm above criticism, so when I see something that's valid I listen, but shit, it's something about the queen's tone that's bothering me. She strike me as somebody blessed enough to grow up in conscious environment with parents that know about the struggle for liberation. And in turn they provide her with a perspective and awareness of the system and a fairness that afflicts them and the clearest understanding of what we got to do to get free and the frustration that feels the worst seems to come from the fact that most people don't see just cause you woke and I'm not that shit ain't no reason to talk like you better than me how you gonna leave when you attacking the very same niggas that really do need the shit that you saying instead of conveying you holier come help us get her to speed shit it's a reason it took like 200 years for our answers is just to get free these shackles be locking the mental way more than the physical I look at freedom like trees can't grow up for us like overnight hit the ghetto and slowly start planting your seeds Fuck is the point of you preaching your message to those that already believe what you believe I'm also fucking retweet, most people are sheep You got all the answers about how you gon' reach If I can make one more suggestion respectfully I would say it's more effective to treat People like children, understanding the time and love and patience that's needed to grow This change is inevitable, but ain't none of us seen this before Therefore we just gotta learn everything as we go I struggle with thoughts on the daily, feel like a slave to somehow to save And no coins to buy his way up out of slavery Think it just maybe in my pursuit to make life so much better for me and my babies I done betrayed the very same people that look at me like I'm some kind of a hero Because of the zeros that's next to the but look here, I promise I'm not who you think Ran into this nigga outside of the store yesterday He said something that had me like, wait He was like, cold, appreciate what you been doing My nigga, that's real, but damn Why I feel faker than snow on the bluff Or maybe cause deep down I know I ain't doing enough
for memories, fuck up the vibe, though I be trying to let the time heal my mind. I was once a child, I've gotten older, still I know I'm just a boy in God's eyes. Fill me up with wisdom and some courage, plus endurance to survive, help my So in the in the in in his lyrics, um, I think J Cole kind of evoked that whole angry black woman trope, who is one of the misogynistic um, ways that black women are dehumanized through misogynoir, and it, it plays on the idea that any discomfort, any advocacy, any call to action expressed by a black woman is unreasonable, and therefore is dismissible. So again, it you know to her lyrics, um, his lyrics is an example of that. But generally, this trope paints black women as irrationally mad and positions them as the hysterical opposition to men and specifically white men's rationality when it comes to addressing issues. And there, you know, again because of this trope, black women are called too uh, too aggressive and too angry, specifically when it comes to their activism within feminist movements by white feminists, and even when they are being decidedly and actively reasonable in calling out um, the oppression they're facing, the changes that they want to make, and um, the oppression that. Um, sorry, I already said that again when they call out the oppression that they're facing and the changes they want to make. So it really belittles black women's valid anger by establishing it as an inherent character flaw and um, allows, um, again, it doesn't allow them to, again, justify their reaction um, to to these unfair circumstances that they're going through. So um, I'm going to just say that basically all of these tropes come from slavery yeah and that is what is particular about massage noir it Mm -hmm. is from slavery so if you want to know where the angry black woman trope came from i've actually talked about this on a previous episode at some point so i'll do a quick recap so the angry black woman trope is from the sapphire trope um, from yeah. the Jim Crow period through minstrel shows. OK, yeah. so when you when people put on blackface, they are reenacting the Jim Crow history, minstrel show history. Um, and it still matters because the tropes about black women and about black people survive today. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, well, not not okay to you. You already know this. From eighteen hundred, from the eighteen hundreds through the mid nineteen nineties, black women were often portrayed in popular culture as sassy mammies who ran their homes with iron fists, including berating black husbands yeah. and children. So, right there, you have this sort of um, masculinity masculinization 
of womanhood, which is supposed to be, which was done to be in complete contrast to white women's innocence. Yeah. Okay. So this was done. This is how like racial hierarchies flow. Yeah. Okay. And are created. Yeah. So these women were allowed, at least symbolically, to devise some racial, defy some racial norms. Um, their sassiness was supposed to indicate that they were accepted as members of the white family, and acceptance of the sassiness implied that that slavery and segregation were not overly oppressive. Yeah. So fictional mammies were allowed they to had pretend- freedom of speech you know yes yes fictional well freedom of speech yeah, well within the confines yeah yeah um so uh this is uh so a well-known example of a sassy mammy was hattie mcdaniel yes gone with the wind in a role she was sassy borderline impertinent but always loyal she was never a threat to the existing social order. Order. There you go. So that's a little background to that. Look, you know. And that's why J. Is, Cole uh, is mad, though, because no name's actually disrupting the social order. You know what I'm saying? She's going against the, 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 the stereotype she's supposed to embody in his mind, mind, right? That's right. That's right. Because she's supposed to be caretaker and mammy yeah to his intellect yes yeah 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 oh you like i just literally thought of that um so in that way j cole is being oppressive he's basically um in his mind she is there to better him which is yeah. very much parallel to how white people treat black people. So even within the black community, there's like, girl, there, there was a, some sort of gender war going on on Twitter on this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, specifically and, because it came a few days after Ola, uh, Ola and Salo's death. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, her murder. It, it, yeah. Her murder. Yeah. And um, you want to tell people who that was? So, Oluwatoyin, yeah, Oluwatoyin Salo, or known as Toyin, that's what her friends called her. She was um, an activist. She was a Black Lives Matter um, advocate who disappeared uh, amidst um, all of this um, uproar and the, the, the protests that were going on in Florida. And, you know, she was one of the faces of the protest. She was out there calling for accountability and justice to the murder of black men and black people um, across the country. And uh, I think she was raped a few days before uh, she disappeared and then was found murdered. And yeah. she she went on to Twitter and she talked about her experience and it was very public. And I think she at, at, at some point 
uh, was naming or trying to identify her abuser again because she wasn't able to 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 um, identify him uh, she didn't know the name specifically she didn't know the address but again uh, it really goes to show how amidst all of this a young black woman went missing was raped was murdered and J. Cole, instead of, again, standing in solidarity, coming out to support not just uh, Oluwatoyin, but also all of these other black women who are the faces of the movement, who are who literally build and uphold these movements from scratch, he decided to attack a black woman instead. Um, I'm not sure if I did justice to Toyin's story, so I apologize for that. Um, but again, it, it's really indicative of, of a broader conversation that like needs to be had around misogynoir and the fact that um, although a lot of times it is enacted by non-Black uh, folks, that within Black communities, again, these are conversations that are happening. And again, with that whole campaign of Say Her Name, when, when we talked about Bri- Brianna, um, there is a lot of gendered... Um, aspects of these movements that unfortunately contribute to erasure of women and trans stories um, when it comes to police violence and general violence and murder against black folk. So you know who talks a lot about um, gender and, um, you know, black women and police violence and that whole intersection Mm -hmm. is Kimberly Crenshaw. Yes. So Ms. Ms. Intersectionality herself. So the person who um, coined the term intersectionality, I'm hoping that if you're listening to this podcast that you know her name. Uh, If you don't, you really should you really should find out and read and consume everything she's done. Also, she has oh, she has African American Forum, which is like a policy forum to talk about solutions for anti-black racism. And she also has a podcast called Intersectionality Matters. Yeah. Just to give you an idea. See, I like that's the content we need to be consuming. Mm -hmm. You know, anyway, carry on. Because I feel like you're 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 on a roll. Yeah, so so I think I was actually going to ask you a bit more again, mainly because I understand all of these in, in from an academic lens. I've done my reading, I continue to do my research. I, mm-hmm. I, I look I think I want to also recognize that a lot of times, specifically in the feminist movement, we we read again, we read from Kimberly Crenshaw, we know all of these terms and we think, hmm. Well, I have black friends. I know I've done all my readings and I actively try to support black women. So I, I have probably never participated in misogynoir. But here's the thing. You probably have, right? It's because like we, we, we swim in anti-blackness on a daily basis. We are fed these tropes from the moment we start learning and even like recognizing who we are and our place in the world. So I, I think it's really important to understand the many ways in which our, again, our dismissal dismissal of black women, our erasure of black women's realities, and the ways in which our shortcomings and our inability to support black women in full capacity and in ways that they need do contribute to misogynoir, right? And I think as like someone who's a young leader 
career within the nonprofit sector to myself, I've definitely had moments, especially in the last year where I've tried to think about, okay, how has my nonprofit contributed to us? How has our financial systems and our um, leadership mechanisms contributed to this has whether it has tokenized black women whether it's dismissed them whether it's put them in dangerous situations I think one of the takeaways I want our listeners to have is that again interrogate yourself and the ways that you've contributed to this um and I think that's how that's how I've been viewing it and I know that a lot of the conversation that was happening on Twitter was around black men's part in perpetrating misogynoir. And that's why I was like, yep. maybe you could, again, because I know what's happening, but I don't have the experience. So I, I'm not sure if it's my place to kind of delve into that. Um, well, yeah. Well, black, black women have, um, well, black women are the backbone of the black community. Yeah. Uh, they are, or we are, um, not only the caretakers, but we are the revolutionaries. Yeah. You know, uh, if you look back at, like, say, Ida B. Wells and yeah. Sojourner Truth, and you know, it, look at look at look as as recent as Ch- Shirley Chisholm. We have yeah. to do a Shirley Chisholm. Th- um, oh yeah. Uh, episode episode cause I'm a fan. Um, other women, such as I forgot the name of the woman who, 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 who created Title Nine. Um, oh yeah, another black woman, and it is through this that we take that some of the greatest social justice and yes. um, yeah. movements and 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 laws were due to black women. If you think of loving versus loving, right? Which was the basis for the for gay marriage, for example. That's a black woman. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, it's funny because I think I was saying the other day to my friend, I said, who's a white woman? I said, you know, I'll tell you something about white women. They can they can they pre- she, what did she say? She said they've exported the PTA. Wow! Right? Black women export family and community. Yeah, I would say. Um, so one's more organized than the other. One is less transactional than the other. Yeah. One is very much about care, and mm-hmm. because of that. It is expected. And when it's not given, the backlash happens. Happens, yeah. Right? And I'm seeing more and more black women saying enough is enough. Yeah. Okay, you're either with us or you're against us. We could do this, okay? Yeah. You know? So I think that, and, you know, if you look at, um, you know, how slavery broke up the black family. Yeah. Uh you know, black women became the sole caretakers. Mm -hmm. So we became the man and the woman through slavery Mm -hmm. because our men were sold, you know? And with that, you get that strong black woman again from slavery. But it also means that a lot of, a lot of our men take us for granted. 
a lot of them. And that's not talking out of turn. I will defend that till the day I die. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty similar. You know, it's patriarchy. It's 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 misogyny within black culture. It's misogynoir perpetrated by black men. And it just goes to show I see a, a sort of black male archetype. So number one is the guy who is all for fighting against police brutality and anti-black racism, but will turn around and treat black women like garbage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's a there's some of that. And don't even start me with black women, white women, women bleh, black women, white women, and, and black men, because that's another story. Oh, that's yeah. a whole nother, that's a series, okay? Mm-hmm. So that whole um so there's a lot tied into all of that um i remember i was i i was scrolling through instagram and i saw carrie washington when she was in save the last dance yeah and uh that was like what 2002 maybe or three somewhere Mm -hmm. somewhere around there and she was talking about um julia styles taking our men kind of thing oh yeah and it's it's that whole idea of white womanhood innocence power and Mm -hmm. the massage noir by both black men and white women yeah i you know what i'm gonna do to give uh it's just so we can prepare like a series in the future this is something i'm very interested in yeah, because to like interracial explore all of these tropes and then how interracial yeah. relationships are very interesting between mm-hmm. uh, black men and white women, especially. But also I was reading in and I'll talk about this uh, in the next episode or, you know, I talked about this earlier, actually. Yeah. And uh, the Canadian immigration policy prohibited oh, yeah. the, Im- the Asian race as it said, so Asians, from entry in, in tw- uh, sorry, in 1923. The, o- the exceptions were made for farm laborers. So if you think about migrant workers today, right, there's a, there's a parallel, there's definitely a connection, a direct connection, and domestics. So I think about the West Indian domestic scheme, which is another, that domestic immigration has to be um, interrogated because it is one of the reasons that white women got to share power. Yep. Okay. With white men. Okay. Um, As well, a Canadian male could sponsor an Asian wife and their children under 18. So think about that in the context of interracial relationships and why they're so lopsided and gendered. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think there's a lot to interrogate there. And when I wrap my head around it, we'll do, we'll do a thing about it. But mm-hmm. I just found that very interesting in terms of how we break down gender and race and all of that. Because it's not only us talking about what happens when we interface with the with the with the white environment. It's what's happening in our own communities too. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. So, do you have anything else that you want to add? No, I think it's such a multifaceted conversation, and it's like so misogynoir impacts black women in so many different ways in so many different spaces. That I think it definitely. I mean, there needs to be a series with to just kind of delve into like all of these tropes and the history, and again, the parallel lines that again exist between all of these policies and all of these experiences that black women have now with colonialism and racism. And again, this week was the the week of Canada is racist at Bad and Bitchy. So again, like connecting it to the domestic worker program and how Mm -hmm. it it is a racist policy. I think it it, is. It's a very racist and misogynistic policy. Yeah, It it really wraps up the conversation in a very interesting way. So yeah, it was, I, I, I really enjoyed um making this episode yeah so did i actually so until next week ciao bye